You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. All right, so Matt, what has a population that is constantly growing, but no one lives there? Population that's constantly growing, but no one lives there. Hmm. I don't know. The cemetery. (laughs) Hey, that's like a riddle. It is. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I am fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. I'm I'm feeling pretty good too. It, it's like we were talking before the show. We started going back to the gym and despite the pain that it actually makes me feel better. You know, we've been so long without actually being able to go to the gym that there's something about it. I've got more energy throughout the day just doing that. And I've heard people say that and I'm like, you're lying out your butthole. But I, <laughs> once you get into it, it's true. I mean, it's true. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd say it is. I I know it it was for me, um, not now. <laughs> it needs to be. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I just I, I I just gave it up, man. I was like, oh well, you know. Yeah. Oh, hey, we did know, too. We've been we've been keto. We've been doing so good for all these months. What quarantine? Oh hell, let's eat ice cream. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. Same with me, man. I we were we were doing good, and then all of a sudden, quarantine hit, and we're like, "Oh well, let's just eat ice cream, you know, and and cookies and cake and chips." And as as Amanda likes to jokingly say, it was quarantine. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. I I put on a quarantine belly and everything. But real quick, we want to say thank you to tonight's sponsors, Quip, HelloFresh, and Best Fiends. We'll talk a little bit more about them later. I also want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find different shows to listen to and tricks and tips on recording your own podcast if you're into that sort of thing. Um, Now, before we get into it, Matt, um, I heard this today, and, and I thought it was interesting enough that I wanted to get your opinion on it and see kind of what you, your thoughts were. Um, okay. You remember the Oumuamua object that went through the solar system? Yeah. Um, all right. So a lot of scientists and Avi Loeb um, and was one of the, the biggest proponents of this said it was it looked more like a alien made alien race made craft more than a meteor or or 
comment or anything like that. And they said it was because it wasn't slowing down after it passed the sun. It seemed to be speeding up, but Mm -hmm. they didn't see the comet trail coming off the back like comets will speed up when they get around the sun because it heats it up and then it shoots a jet of gas out, right? Mm -hmm. And so it speeds the comet up. Well, this comet was, comet in quotes, was speeding up, but without any detectable emission of anything, whether it be, you know, visible or they couldn't capture it on any of their infrared or anything like that. So he said that kind of seems like it's something else. Um, But there was also what they said was like a super thin something on the leading edge of it. And some scientists said, well, it's a dust bunny, you know, basically like it's dust (laughs) that collected in its gravitational field and it's staying there. And Avi Loeb said, well, technically, if that's the case, then it's way technically way too light to be cosmic dust, because for the size of the the mass in front of the Oumuamua, Mm -hmm. it should have been heavier than it was. It wasn't as dense. Right. So Avi said it looked similar to a light sail or something that we would consider a light sail. Which, um, if uh, I don't know if you know what a light sail is, but um, theoretically, it would be a giant sail that a craft would deploy when it got into space, and the photons from the sun would hit it and propel it, right? Because photons do move and they exert a force. And if you have a big enough sail and a, a light enough craft in anti gravity, the photons can push you. So they're considering a light sail as something, okay, let's get us to the outer reaches of the solar system using a light sail instead of jet propulsion, right? Yeah. Is a light sail, is this something, is this a theoretical thing or does something like this actually exist? It's theoretical, but people are actually working on trying to get a working prototype of it. Um, They have computer programs that prove that it can work but they haven't developed one for actual use yet um, because it we don't have a craft that we can put it on yet um but he said the next thing you can uh paraglide through space yeah exactly (laughs) you see astronauts in their suit but with a parasail on them (laughs) um but he said that's what this dust Uh, this dust cloud, quote unquote, in front of it looks like he's a big proponent of the fact that it is to him some alien craft, either reconnaissance or um, one theory that he put forth was that it was a parked vehicle of some sort. And he said, think of it as they went and parked it in this galactic parking space. And then over the millennia, as our universe and solar system moves through space that we just kind of sailed through its parking space and so it was like an ancient craft that was parked right i thought you were gonna say like it over time the parking space moved and i was like man can you imagine when those guys come back 
mm-hmm. find their vehicle. It's right. Like, Dad, come. I know we parked right here. Yeah, it's 40,000 light years away. <laughs> He's beeping the little alarm thing trying to find their vehicle. Um <laughs> There's a shopping cart where the where it used to be. <laughs> right. Um, so he said possibly they parked it and then our solar system through time moved through its thing. Or it's like a cloaked recon vehicle that's capturing data as it goes through. But it's designed to look like a comet so that other races don't pick it up. Well, one of the one of the things to get your opinion on, Avi actually said he said the the dimensions of Oumuamua, the dimensions and the scale, obviously scaled up, but the, the scale and the dimensions are similar to the dimensions given in the Bible for Noah's Ark. So, could Oumuamua be a sort of alien ark that they put, like their planet was dying, and they put species of every animal and plant or whatever on their arc and then sent it adrift to land on another planet somewhere in the sense of panspermia how they think you know if, if we developed on mars and then we panspermiated to earth at some point yeah, but yeah. um he said the scale is eerily close if you just scaled noah's arc dimensions up then it would fit oumuamua so before we get into the episode, what are your thoughts on that and everything I've told you that Avi has said? Well, you know, I think anything like this, any any celestial body that comes close to the Earth, you're you're always going to have some speculation around it. Sure. And this is actually the first I'm hearing of this one, but you know, I th- I think it's a lot of fun. You know, I don't know that we're ever going to find out for sure. It would no. really be interesting to be able to investigate this further. Um, it came and went too quickly, though. I know. And, and so, I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, a lot of these folks that are really pro-extraterrestrial are, are going to immediately be drawn to an event like this, you know, to say, I'm not saying it is or it isn't. Um, I'm, I'm saying it's a lot of fun to speculate on the idea that it could be, especially with the evidence that it wasn't behaving like what they would expect yep, a exactly. to behave because, you know, they've studied these things for, for a long time and they, they know the behavior and the trajectory to, to, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they know what they're looking for. And when they don't see it, you know, you, you start scratching your head going, well, this doesn't really behave like we would expect it to behave. So right. maybe it's something else or, you know, at the minimum, maybe it's made of a different material that reacts differently. You know, maybe it's super dense or super light. Yeah. You know, one way or the other. And we've just never seen anything quite like it, or at least not in the modern era where we could actually, you know, have some data already to compare it to. Right. It's the first interstellar object that we've had that's come from outside of our solar system and pass that close to Earth that we can actually look at. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things Avi said is we need to we need to keep an eye out for this and be ready, have something ready for the next interstellar object that comes through so that, oh, if we see it off in the distance coming, we can shoot up a satellite quickly 
and get something on or next to that object to study it more. He said, yeah. because we could have learned a lot if we could have gotten something close to it to study if that was a dust cloud or a light sail. Was it rock mm-hmm. or was it metal designed yeah. to look like rock cloaked in a way? Um, but what are your guys' thoughts on that? That's one thing. To, the first thing uh, in this episode we'll ask for your thoughts on. What are your thoughts on Oumuamua and the fact that it could have been a alien craft of some sort that was disguised you know and hit us up in the facebook group or email us or whatever and let us know your theory but oh, 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 O'Reilly. you need parts o'reilly auto parts has parts need them fast we've got fast no matter what you need we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it product availability just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. That's enough of the non-related talk here. So to to make some of the, the other people happy, Matt, tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight, Adam and I are going to head north of the border. Uh, there's something gonna, up there. <laughs> there's something up there. Oh our, wow! Our friend, our friends to the north. <laughs> um, we're going to be discussing the uh, the Fairmont Banff Springs Hotel uh, in Alberta, Canada. And I'm telling you, I I, I came across this. Um, just looking up some, you know, ideas for show topics. And I sent it to Adam and I said, Hey, check this out. I was like, there's, there, there's a lot of activity up here and I've never come across this place before. Well, that's a weird thing is as, as crazy as it is there, I had never heard of this before until you yeah. brought it up. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it I've, I've never seen it show up on any shows. Um, you know, haven't seen a you know a, a bunch of posts about it. It doesn't show up on a bunch of lists of the most haunted places, um, but it does appear that it is one of the most haunted places in Canada. It does have a lot of activity, so uh, I think I think you guys are going to enjoy it. I know we digging into it. I found a lot um, that was. I mean, it was really surprising that there was this much activity in one hotel. Um, so I think you're you're going to enjoy this episode. Uh, especially if you're Canadian, you're, you're probably really going to dig it. You may have even been there. It, it's not like a, it's, it's a functioning hotel. Yep. I was going to so, say uh, any of our uh, pot Canadian podcasting friends or Canadian listeners, let us know if you have heard of this place at all, you yeah, know, have yeah, any of our um, paranormal podcasting friends that are in Canada. I'd be interested if you guys know about this and you probably do. It's yeah, probably sure. just us dumb Americans that, didn't know about it beforehand, but let yeah. us know. So, so just uh, just sit back, get you a bag of milk, 
and uh, <laughs> you know a, a, a Molson. Get you some maple some, leaves some, here. Some poutine. Oh yes. And, uh, <laughs> and, and Adam's going to tell us about the history of the uh, the Fairmont Banff Springs Hotel. Well, if you get some poutine, you better share because I I want oh, some. Baby. I love I, it. I, I love I, it. I, yeah, I need me some here. All right, so as always, go check out our sources in the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found our information. You can find some more stuff that maybe we didn't cover for time's sake, um, but go down there and check that out. So first, we need to look at Banff, Alberta, um, just to kind of get an idea of the area, where it's at, and all that. And this comes from the Canadian Encyclopedia, which call me a stupid American. I didn't know there was a Canadian Encyclopedia. <laughs> Well, why wouldn't there be, Adam? I, I'm, I don't know why there wouldn't be. I just didn't. I guess I never thought about it. I was like, Canadian Encyclopedia. That's cool. So, all right. So, Banff is a town within Banff National Park in Alberta. Um, it's located in uh, Alberta's Rockies along the Trans-Canadian Highway. It's approximately 126 kilometers or 78 miles west of Calgary and 58 kilometers or 36 miles east of Lake Louis or Louise. Um, at 1,400 to 1,630 meters or 4590 to 5350 feet above sea level, Banff is the community with the second highest elevation in Alberta after Lake Louise. Um, and I was trying to do metric and standard there, uh, but my brain was getting a little wonky with that. Now, the town of Banff is located on the Bow River in the Canadian Rockies, like I said, and it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And that's cool. I like the fact that that area is a uh, World Heritage Site. It's very pretty up there. Yeah. Um, now, founded in 1883 near a proposed Canadian Pacific Railway Tunnel site, the first town, three kilometers from present-day Banff, was known as Siding 29. They should have kept that. I like that. Yeah. Siding 29. <laughs> I'd live in something called that. You know, if I'd lived yeah. in like... Siding 40 in Texas. That would be cool. Sounds sounds a lot like Area 51, don't it? It kind of does. <laughs> uh, and District 9, that movie District 9. Uh-huh, yeah. Now, renamed by Lord Strathcona, Donald Smith, um, on the 25th of November, 1883. <laughs> you go from Donald Smith to Lord Strathcona. Yep. Seth, he said... He sounds like a character from Star Wars. I, I'm telling you, and I, I, I don't understand how you would. I mean, I, there's something that I'm not understanding about, um, you know, the the Canadian government system there and all that. But Lord Strathcona and his his name doesn't have Strathcona in it at all. Like I'd get it if it was like Lord Smith, but Lord Strathcona and Donald Smith. Anyway, um, he named it for his hometown uh, back in Scotland um, and relocated three years later. The new town site grew to 300 residents that first year. Banff finally became a self-governing municipality within the province of Alberta on January 1st, 1990. So almost 100 years later, um, it finally became a self-governing municipality. 
Now, Banff, uh, Banff's development uh, was controversial because of the fragility of its environment, and it has always been determined by the federal government, tourism, and the railway. Well, in 1885, the Banff Hot Springs Reserve was formed on 10 acres of land around the local hot springs, and in 1887, a major expansion of park land occurred with the formation of the Rocky Mountains Park, renamed Banff National Park in 1930. Now, real quick, Matt, I don't know if you see in my notes there, I have 10 acres for ha. Yeah. I had to put that in because that's hectares, but... It's hectares. Yeah. Is that- but I, I thought it was hilarious because I type ha a lot when I'm <laughs> texting, if you've noticed that. And uh, so four ha's for this one. It's good. <laughs> I'm going to start getting texts from Adam's like, hey, did you see this? Hectare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Or I'll just start giving it. Well, Matt, that joke, you get four ha's for that one. So. <laughs> Um, the park centered around Banff was uh, spurred by the single most significant event in the town's history, the opening of the Banff Springs Hotel, which we'll talk about here just shortly. Now, subsequent winter recreational developments and Banff's symbol as Canada's premier all-season tourism destination encourages over 3 million individuals each year to visit the park. Um, now, it was home to famous Albertans, such as explorer Mary Schaefer, uh, Mary Schaefer Warren, Walter J. Phillips, Earl Burney, artist Carl Rungius, um, as well as Dr. Robert G. Brett, Lieutenant Governor of Alberta and owner of a sanatorium hotel, which we're going to have to look into, Matt, and see if uh, that has anything there. Uh, Banff also um, early established itself as one of Alberta's main cultural centers, and the richness was further evidenced by the establishment of the Banff Center School of Fine Arts in 1933 and later the Witt Museum of the Canadian Rockies. So pretty cool area up there so far. Yeah. Yeah. Had a um, a history that there was so many people that either spent time there or lived there that I just couldn't go into it all. But there was... Um, uh, one of the links you can find in our show notes will go more kind of in depth into that. But, you know, famous um, mountain explorers and one of the first female mountaineers to get famous for doing that actually yeah. spent a lot of time in Banff um, because she was um, photographing all the scenery and stuff there. So and that was a big, a big section of the notes that I was like, I wish I had time to get into that, but we just... You know, that would it would be a whole nother show if we did that. Maybe we can do a Patreon episode about some of that stuff as a bonus. Now, one of the things in Banff is the Banff Cemetery. And I wanted to um, kind of introduce this in, just kind of tell you what their thoughts on burial and stuff like that was and is. It's considered the nicest cemetery in Canada. Now, in 1890, Baby Adelia Woodworth became one of the first uh, fights to be buried in what is known today as the Old Bamp Cemetery. Located at the south end of Grizzly Street, a 1914 Crag and Canyon article poetically described the cemetery 
um, as situated, quote, only a short distance from the Bow Falls with the craggy peaks of Mount Rundle casting fantastic lights and shadows over green swords and marble shafts, while the gentle sowing of the breeze through the pines chants a never-ending requiem, end quote. Very poetic. Very poetic. (laughs) And a lot better than you or I could do, so... Oh, yeah. I have no comments on that because I'll just make myself look stupid. Mine would be, it's really pretty up here. There's lots of wind that blows through the trees. It (laughs) it makes cool noises. Y'all should come. Your money's good here. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So this this goes on. J.E. Malloy, a stonemason, was responsible for shaping many of these early monuments, including the Brett Mausoleum and the Rollins Monument. The old Bamp Cemetery also provided space for the nearby Bankhead mining community. Mourners would travel nearly nine kilometers on foot, often preceded by the Bankhead Mine Band to bury their dead. The Bankhead Miners Memorial, which honors the 15 miners killed over the town's 22-year mining history, is a reminder of both the miners and the former town's interactions with our community. So, honestly... If they only had 15 miners killed in 22 years, they were pretty safe. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. mining is a tough job. Oh, yeah. We've talked about it before. You know, right. How dangerous it can be. Right. All right. So let's look at the hotel. Now, some of this information comes from historic hotel documents that I found. And it says, a National Historic Site of Canada, the Fairmont Bamp Springs, has been a shining example of Canadian hospitality from its inception. William Cornelius Van Horn, the general manager of the Canadian Pacific Railway, first considered constructing a grand hotel in the Canadian Rockies when several employees of his railroad stumbled across several mineral springs in 1883. So like a lot of places we've talked about, a lot of old hotels, it popped up around hot springs and mineral springs. Mm -hmm. So they did the same. Now, noticing a great opportunity to facilitate travel along the Canadian Pacific Railway, Van Horn immediately set about constructing a brilliant grand, uh, grand dame that would be one of the world's most luxurious. As such, he commissioned blueprints for an impressive hotel that would be situated at the convergence of the Bow and Spray Rivers. This goes on to say that architect Bruce Price led the design team who relied on the Chateau-esque style architecture as the source of his inspiration. Construction commenced in 1886 and concluded some two years later. As soon as it debuted, the Bamp Springs Hotel in 1886, some sources say the first day it was open to the public was June 1st, 1888. Um most say 1888, um, a couple say 1886. So I'll give you both dates just in case it's so far back. Mm-hmm. Like we've talked before, the some little details like that are a little fuzzy. Um, but as, as soon as it opened to the public, it rapidly became one of the top three mountain resorts in North America. Yeah, and go and look at pictures of this place. I mean, it is absolutely breathtaking. Oh, yeah, it is. I, I mean, that that chateau style, I mean, it just rises up right there in, you know, in the mountains. Almost out of nowhere. I mean, you got a yeah, big I mean, hotel. It's amazing. I mean, you know, there, you can see, you know, in some of the photos, you can see the springs. 
um, you know, the mountains in the background, and and here is this, you know, just enormous chateau building. I mean, with with the the spires and everything. I mean, it's it's gorgeous. Yep. Um, and I, I did I did come across some people uh, on some forums asking if they had they had heard rumors that this may have been Stephen King's inspiration for The Shining. Um, I mean, it, it could have been, but I think you know we covered the the Stanley Hotel, mm-hmm. um, which he credits as being the inspiration for that. But if you look at pictures of both locations, they are very similar in style. Yes, um, they are. And of course, you know, up in the mountains, um, you know, they, they really just kind of fits in seamlessly. Yeah. I mean, you look at it and you go, yeah, that's exactly where this place belongs. Yeah. Right. Um, and kind of on that note about the views and stuff, I was curious and, and in doing research, I wanted to look at, um, currently, some of their hotel rooms and stuff like that. And they've got some rooms with beautiful views, mm-hmm. uh, but you're talking starting in the three hundreds yeah. U S dollars. So you're going to pay for those views. <laughs> hey, that, I mean, that's right. But I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I have, I have gone and, and stayed in, you know, regular, regular U.S. towns and seen hotel rooms in the 250s, just a regular room. Right. So comparatively for, not for, a that pla- bad. for a place like this, I mean, you know, you're going to pay for that view. But I mean, when you look at it, it it's it's worth it. No. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I and, mean, you know, you're going to you're going to see some things up there. I mean, just. You know the the beautiful Canadian Rockies and you know beautiful Canadian people, (laughs) the beautiful Canadians. You know everywhere that you know huge poutine buffets. Oh yeah, (laughs) the Bow River just gravy flows down onto your poutine and right all over your cheese curds. Oh yes, Mm, cheese curds. I'm hungry. Stop that, Matt. Oh, I'm telling you. So, obviously, we we have a craving for poutine. If you can't Sounds tell, like we're yeah, we're going to be talking about that. Um, I'll post some pictures of this in uh, Patreon so y'all can see some of the pictures there. Now, this goes on to say that from 1900 to the 1920s, several adjustments were made in order to update the hotel and its offerings to keep its longstanding status. Among the first construction projects undertaken around that time was a development of the hotel's iconic 11-story tower designed by architect Walter Painter. Painter, who's an architect? That's cool. Um, It possessed an amazing array of woodwork and limestone native to Alberta. Yet, much of this work was significantly compromised when an accident afflicted the entire hotel in 1926. Fortunately, an engineer of the Canadian Pacific Railway, John W. Orock, restored the hotel back to its former glory. Now, he managed to unify the appearance of the Banff Springs Hotel, giving it the current facade that is present today. The hotel continued to endure through the Great Depression, and its stature never diminished. It continued to host countless luminaries uh, from throughout the world as well, including... 
King George VI and his wife, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, um, during their royal tour of Canada in 1939. So that's pretty cool. 1939, you got George VI and Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, that came through and stayed there. So obviously, it's a grand hotel. If, it is a grand hotel. If they're going to stay there, it, it's worth every penny of your stay. Now, the Bant Springs Hotel briefly shut down in 1942 as a result of the scarcity of labor um, because of World War II. Now, it would not reopen until the war ended in 1945, though it took most of the 1950s and 60s to reclaim its former status as one of the greatest resort getaways in the North Americas. And the war had not completely ruined the hotel's charm. Adapting it to new economics of the area, several changes to the hotel provided it with new life. A pivotal pivotal point came in the 1970s when the Banff Springs Hotel began to stay open year-round. As such, it offered guests a bevy of new winter activities. More renovations and expansions were done a decade later, providing guests with the most cutting-edge accommodations and amenities of the time. In the 1990s, Ted Kassane became the manager of the Banff Springs Hotel. Um, he subsequently restored the Majestic Hotel, giving it the nickname The Castle in the Rockies. Another series of expansions followed shortly thereafter, which saw the addition of new spectacular facilities um, called the Banff Springs Conference Center. Now, in 2011, Canadian Pacific Limited, the parent company to Canadian Pacific Hotels, merged the brand with Fairmont Hotels and Resorts following a massive corporate um, reorganization. That fusion resulted in the Banff Springs Hotel getting renamed as the Fairmont Banff Springs. So that's why it has such a long name. Um, it's not just that Canadians like naming things super long names, but it it's because of that merger <laughs> there. Yeah. Now, millions of guests have checked in, but a few have never checked out. In 132 years, the popular Alberta vacation spot has allegedly set the scene for horrific murders, suicides, and terrible accidents. Rooms have been boarded up, and the paranormal is frequently recorded. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when we're talking about a hotel uh, that has had this much coming and going, it's had renovation after renovation, and it's old. Yep. Um, you know, we... Your uh, your paranormal radar begins to to go off and go, hey, this sounds like a place that might be haunted, and sure enough, the the Banff Springs Hotel uh, definitely has some activity that uh, would put it in that category. Yes, um, it do. It's it it is it's it's really it's really amazing because they uh, they really celebrate this you know, the, the paranormal activity, the hauntings there, um, you know, it's not necessarily a marketing tool, but it's just fun and they don't shy away from it necessarily for, for, um, you know, the stories that come out of there. Um, but we're going to talk about one that they do shy away from, um, here in just a little bit. That's a really interesting one too. It, it is. And so I, I, I dug a little deeper on it to try to try to find some more information and it is it is quite the interesting story um but we're gonna we're gonna jump into that here in just a second 
Um, but you know, one thing to consider when we talk about these these haunted hotels, uh, especially these that were built around a time when you would get sick and the the treatment that would be recommended would be rest and relaxation. Right. Okay. Change of atmosphere and yeah. and drier or wetter air kind of thing. Exactly. And so a, a lot of just like the Stanley Hotel, a, a lot of these these mountain resorts were built specifically with that in mind. With the idea of this is a place where you know, if if the weather where you are is not conducive to your well-being, you can come here. And they were typically built on these mineral springs. Um, you know, a lot of them used that, you know, the healing waters of whatever resort you were going to visit. Um, you know, sulfur springs, mineral springs, all these places, you know, they have that common. So does Banff Springs. The healing brown um, gravy of the Bow River. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly so you know people began to to visit with this idea of i'm gonna get this this crisp mountain air you know this get away from any pollution of the city and and take it easy and and recoup and recover um but what we always find is these places that are built on these springs this this running water this underground spring mm-hmm. can almost serve as a battery and, and produce a lot of energy that supports the paranormal activity that's reported there absolutely and so it, it's something to consider um as we get into some of these stories but i i, I would say that the probably the most famous story the the one you're definitely going to hear um when you make a visit it's the first one you're going to see when you start looking uh into the hotel is is the bride okay um now this is the story and and this story dates back to the late 1920s and the story goes that on this young couple's wedding day the bride still in her wedding gown descended one of the hotel's marble staircases now something startled her and it caused her to slip and fall and the in the fall, the story goes it it possibly broke her neck and, and it killed her. Now, some of the versions of the story say that her dress uh, brushed up against a candle, and her and her dress caught fire, and that that startled her. Um, others say maybe she stepped on her the hem of her dress, and it caused her to trip, and down the stairs she goes. But either way, story is that this this young bride died by falling down these stairs. Um, But since that time, hotel staff and guests have reported seeing a veiled figure moving up and down the stairs or seeing a figure in a wedding dress dancing in the upstairs ballroom. Um, Some say, you know, just like yearning for that, that first dance with her new husband. Sure. Yeah. Now, Staff will also report strange noises coming from the bridal suite, even when that suite is vacant. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, I mean, just, you know, some odd little things that go along with this story. If it um, wasn't vacant, the bridal suite is somewhere you'd expect some weird noises to come <laughs> from, right? Exactly. 
If it was occupied, <laughs> not, no noise coming from that would be the weird thing. Yeah, do not disturb <laughs> sign on the door. But the ghost bride of Bamp Springs has become so famous that she even has her own Canadian postage stamp and collector coin. Wow. Yeah. I okay, mean, so, that's something you guys need to send us. Yeah. I want uh, ghost bride stamps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Send us a stamp or a coin. Either way. That would that would be a cool cool little piece of memorabilia. Oh, yeah. Um, but that just kind of goes to show how they, they celebrate this. And, uh, you know, they don't shy away from it. Right. It's not this one. Now, now the next one is is Sam the Bellman. Now, there are stories about Sam McCauley, who was an old Scottish bellman. Uh, that oh, I thought worked- you said bell end. <laughs> <laughs> He's a bell end. He's a bell man. Oh, okay. If you don't know what bell end is, Matt, I'll tell you later. I can't on the show. Uh, oh, but oh, all okay. of our all of our uh, listeners in England are laughing at me now because they know what it is. It's like an inside joke for everybody in the UK. Yeah. But he worked uh, in the hotel during the 60s and 70s, and he passed away in 1975. Now, supposedly, his spirit still haunts the hotel, but in a very helpful way. And there are several stories about people who have come across the spirit of Sam the Bellman. Now, one incident involved two elderly ladies who called the front desk because when they got back to their room, their key wouldn't work. And so the regular Bellman was occupied and he couldn't get up there for about 15 minutes. As the story goes, when he arrived at the door, it was unlocked. And one of the women said, oh, this older Bellman in a plaid jacket had helped let them in. Hmm. And the description match sam exactly wow now other stories include guests seeing sam uh hanging out in his old office which is now a guest room uh and they've also seen apparitions or feel cold spots on the sixth seventh and ninth floors of the hotel and you know there is actually like a little monument marker for sam up there um you know so many stories uh, about um, people setting their luggage out and calling down for the bellman to take it to the lobby to you know so it'll be down there waiting when they come down to check out right and uh, they'll come down and their luggage is there but none of the bellman in the hotel brought it down wow so it that just, is that is a helpful spirit it That's just amazing. made it down there and I've, I what I heard I, I, this was in an interview. With uh, like for the for local news with the current you know one of the current managers and mm-hmm. I was like, now that's a, that's a wild one because yeah. have you ever gotten any reports of seeing ghostly luggage floating down the hallway? <laughs> right, right. That would be the thing. You just see luggage randomly being drugged down the hallway <laughs> by nobody, and you're like, hmm. But the, but the catch is is with with Sam's apparition, it apparently is is so fully formed that people mistake it for an actual other person, like these two ladies where he actually let them into the room. Yeah. So, I mean, 
that's that's pretty amazing. I mean, we usually don't hear apparitions being so solid that you could, at a close distance, mistake it for an actual living person. Yeah. I need a ghost in my house that is helpful like that. It's like, hey, I'm building something outside. Can you come hold this while I cut it? You know, or help you need me carry an extra this up. Set of hands is what you yeah. need. <laughs> help me carry this up the stairs, please, ghost. You know, I need I need one that will actually load and unload the dishwasher. Oh yeah, my children, they are terrible at it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, we, it is we hadn't got Michael crazy. to actually do that yet, but um, we have gotten him to start like drying dishes. Yeah, like there's some things that we don't throw in the dishwasher. Uh, or if it's full, we'll just kind of hand wash them mm-hmm. and uh, certain pots and pans and knives and stuff. So we finally got him drying them, but he conveniently forgets where everything goes every time. So <laughs> it's like he'll, he'll dry them and then I don't know where this goes. So I'm like, fine, you dry, I'll put it up. But we hadn't made our way up to the uh, dishwasher yet. Yeah, Piper does that. Um, yeah. it's It's like... We've got like 15 coffee cups and I use maybe three. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I have my three favorite coffee cups. Um, and, and for a while, one of them, my favorite one went missing. And I'm, has anybody seen it? Do you know where it is? It's not here. Mm-hmm. It's not in the dishwasher. It was in, it was in another cabinet with like plates and stuff. And I don't know. <laughs> I'm just like, why Why is it here? Yeah, it was in the what? butter drawer. It, it, it didn't fit in the cabinet. <laughs> there were too many cups. So you just stuck it anywhere. Okay. Yeah, just randomly, you know. Yeah. It's the logic of a, of a nine-year-old. Oh, yeah. Yep. But there are several rooms in, in the hotel that are reportedly haunted. Um, there... Uh, there are guests that have reported having pillows yanked out from under their heads while they've slept or even being pushed off the bed by something unseen. Oh, wow. That's, um, but you know, what, whatever it is that that's haunting some of these specific rooms, it, it's safe to say that they didn't rest in peace and they're going to make sure you don't either. Yeah. No joke. Okay? And there's a, there's a lot of activity that goes on inside certain rooms. And one in particular has a, a pretty unique story. Um, it's room 873. Now, the story behind room 873 has several variations, but here's the gist of it. Inside room 873, an entire family was murdered. And, and guess that in that room had reportedly been awakened by screaming. Now, when they turn on the lights, they would see bloody handprints on the mirror. Oh, wow. Depending who tells the story, the handprints either would disappear before the hotel staff had a chance to clean them, or they wouldn't come off at all, like they were impossible Hmm. to clean. So in any case, if you visit the floor where that room should be, you're going to find that there is no room 873. Okay. Mm. It has been completely covered and is inaccessible from the hallway, which is either to just keep guests out of a haunted room or just routine renovations. 
And, but that, again, that depends on who you ask. Yeah. Um, but the, I'd say it's probably the first to yeah. keep guests out of there. Yeah. You know, the story is that the paranormal activity in the room was so over the top that the hotel decided it was just a good idea to eliminate the possibility of a guest having to spend the night in there. So guests who were lucky enough to stay in room 873 before it was sealed claim that they were terrorized by horrible disembodied shrieks and screams in the middle of the night. Now, maids that were charged with cleaning the room, as I said before, were unable to remove any bloody fingerprints from the bathroom mirror, and some have reported seeing the spirit of a young daughter standing outside the room as if she's lost. Wow. Now, the Banff Springs Hotel representatives, they say that this idea of a murder, or some even say a murder-suicide, where the father was the killer and then you know turned his hand on himself, it, it's just a, a really grotesque ghost story. That's they're what saying, they would say. Yeah, they're saying that no such crime ever occurred in the hotel, and there is no blood-spattered room sealed off behind a brick wall. Well, where's the where's the number then? I know. So, but despite all that, there are still people that go and try to be amateur detectives and prove that eight room eight seventy three did in fact exist. Now, on other floors. There are rooms ending in the number 73, but not on the eighth floor. The baseboard where room 873 would be is cut as if there were a door there, and there is a corresponding light on the ceiling as there are in front of all the other rooms. So if if you knock on the walls between each room, you'll hear the sound, you know, where you're just knocking on a hard wall. Mm-hmm. Where room 873 is alleged to be, you'll hear a lighter hollow sound as if there's an open area just behind the wall. Right. So like a door. Yeah. Now, those less interested in the mystery of room 873 say that the area um, that may have been that room is just a part of room 875. And that during the renovations, 875 was remodeled to have two rooms. And and there are other rooms like this in the hotel. So th- it, this isn't like, oh, there's just one one big room on the eighth floor. There are other rooms. I that was going to ask, too. yeah. Um, and, and like I said, the hotel does have rooms ending in 73 on other floors. But hotel employees are forbidden to speak of the room. And when you question them, their scripted answers are said to be as disturbing as the missing room itself. Now, the concierge huh. will explain that any ghost stories related to room 873 are a hoax, and room 873 was indeed annexed into room 875 during renovations. Now, the floor plan on the eighth floor shows exactly that. It shows no 873. You look at room 875, and you can tell that there is extra room in, in that hotel room as opposed to the other one. Hmm. Now... Why wouldn't you change the number then? Like, I know, uh, yeah, I know it's strange. So that that's what makes me think that you know eight eight seventy three was indeed a real room. Yep, and they just they just renovated it for whatever reason. Um, whether they added it on or not, like to the other room, 
it would be weird to skip that number just for no reason. I know you would think it would make more sense to just renumber the rooms mm-hmm. instead of leaving it blank, which kind of makes me go, "Yeah, you're just you're 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 perpetuating this story that you don't want to talk about." Right. It it leaves some mystery and keeps people coming back. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that you know the staff staff is probably forbidden to talk about it because it keeps the mystique there. Yep. Exactly. Um, but, you know, some people say maybe only a portion of 873 was included, that there is a portion that goes unnoticed by staff, you know, when they're in the room to, you know, to clean or whatever. Um, but the other ghost stories are happily shared by the hotel staff. You know, the bride, Sam, the bellman, you know, they they tell those stories freely and and often will try and redirect people that are asking about 873 to, well, have you heard the other stories about the hotel? Yeah. Um, but my thought is, is that, you know, there there may be something, you know, to the fact that they didn't change the numbers, that, you know, they did probably close off this one room. But it's, it's not as family friendly to share this gruesome story of a murder-suicide in that room. Right. Okay? Sure. The bride... Okay, we can we can we can handle that. Sam, the bellman. Hey, you know, it's, you know, the ghost of the friendly bellman. You know, that's that's great. Yeah. Murder, suicide where children were murdered and bloody handprints on the wall. Uh, Yeah, I I don't I I definitely wouldn't want my younger children hearing that if I'm on vacation, because now they're going to be crawling up my rear end, you know, and I'm trying to sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to be terrified. Absolutely. So I can understand, you know, why they might not necessarily perpetuate the story, but they certainly aren't doing a whole lot, it seems, to just cut it out completely. Otherwise, you'd have fixed the the rooms, you know. Yes. It looks pretty obvious. You'd have renumbered and said, nope, here's your 873 right here. Yeah. If you wanted to completely cover it up. But like you, I think there's a little bit of um, perpetuation of the story there. Sure. They're not going to tell you the story because that would look bad on them as far as, like you said, not being family friendly and they don't want to, yeah. they don't want to do that, but they know that it's going to keep ghost hunters and those interested in the paranormal coming back. If there's that little bit of mystery and inconsistency there that they can kind of allude to, yeah. you know, and they may have included part of room 873 into 875 but then the bloody mirror side they left is closed know, off closed up yeah. yeah that way they could say no we we've closed it in but they really didn't do the whole thing yeah and if you're a part of the hotel staff and someone approaches you asking about room 873 then you know they already know the story so yeah. there's no sense in you sharing it Right. Because right. if if you know anything about it, you've heard the story. So yep. why should I repeat it to you? You know? So I, yeah, I get it. But beyond the, the sealed up room, there was a secret room in the hotel as well. Now, during construction of the original wooden hotel, there was a big mistake from the contractor. And a room was built with no windows or doors. Uh, you wow. Know, and this was a fact that they didn't even share with the original owner. Huh. 
So the room was only discovered after a fire broke out in 1926. And since then, apparitions are often seen roaming the hall outside of this room. So, yeah. That's I mean, weird. That's an oddball thing. You know, you just, oh, well, we just made this room that has no windows or doors. So it's not really you a know, room. It's just an open you space. Didn't, you didn't go fix it. You know, I, I, you could have fixed it. Yeah. And made it a closet or something. I'd imagine at some point, you know, you get to the, you, you're like, uh, well, we're too far into it. We can't really fix it now. Just seal it. Yeah. Up, you know. Yeah, true. And we won't say anything. They'll never know. Yeah. Now, as well as the more popular reports above, the hotel has a lot more to offer. You know, there's the apparition of a bartender that has been witnessed by staff and guests. Uh, and it often informs guests that they've had a little too much to drink and it D- maybe maybe best if they go on to bed. T- yeah. That's funny. Getting now, cut off by a ghost. Yeah. A little more uh, f- uh, spectacular than that one. The apparition of a headless man playing the bagpipes has oh, been wow. seen. Yeah. Uh, How that's, on a that's crap pretty is cool. he playing it with no head? Yeah. Now, doing the research for the hotel, I, I came across a really cool website that I, I have not found anything similar to this, um, but it's called TaxiMike.com, okay? And it is a travel site for Banff, Canada. Oh, wow. And it provides tourist info on dining and accommodations and entertainment, um, but but Mike does have a section on ghost stories, and visitors to the site can share stories about their experiences. Hmm. And, man, have people shared stories. I mean, I read so many stories about this place from people who actually stayed there that were yeah. just regular guests. That's cool. And that's why I always say when, when we look at these places, Travelocity, uh, yeah, um, uh, what's TripAdvisor is also a yep. good one. Well, you go on there and you can read reviews. Inevitably, mm-hmm. you're going to find a, you know a, a review or two that mentions a paranormal experience that somebody had while staying there. Yep. If it's uh, re- purportedly haunted, you can almost guarantee there's going to be somebody that does, like you said, a TripAdvisor review and says, you know, so and so here at this hotel and uh you know i felt somebody grab my butt at night and my husband wasn't there you know kind of something like that it, you know <laughs> yeah you know that'd be kind of weird wouldn't it <laughs> my, might be fun but you my know hus- my husband was down uh watching the hockey game in the bar and yeah. somebody grabbed my butt <laughs> and some apparition cut him off from beer and sent him back up to the room and ghostly bartender cut him off Mm -hmm. settled his tab and he came back up (laughs) he told him you know there's a there's a ghost that likes to grab ladies rear ends up here yeah so you better go really but um but yeah i I thought this this site was amazing and i'm you know i'm gonna I, i gotta i gotta give credit where credit is due uh, to taximike.com and you can get on there and you can read some of the other stories but I'm going to share some with you now so these are all emailed to Mike and he posts them on the site so th- this is this is the first one I love um, this already the just the 
the yeah, idea of this website. I love it. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna read these verbatim. Uh, I'm not I'm not gonna try to paraphrase because I think it takes something away from it. Um, this is from Amanda who visited the hotel. She says we had room nine fourteen, which my husband started saying was on floor nine and three quarters, which is a Harry Potter yeah. reference because it's actually on the tenth floor. So you get off the regular elevator on the ninth floor and you have to go down the hall and nestled up against an outside wall is this older, small, little elevator, which you have to use to get to the 10th, 11th and 12th floors. That's weird. Interestingly, all the hotel rooms on these three floors are given the starting number of nine, even though they aren't on the ninth floor at all. So, but anyway, there were only four rooms all together on our small little floor, and I'm not sure any of them were in use because we saw no one else except one cleaning person, whom I'm assuming was an actual live person and not an apparition. <laughs> she says, I tell you this so you know it's most unlikely that anybody was walking past the room and trying the door repeatedly all night, which wow. is what happened. <laughs> She says, both of the nights we stayed on the 14th and 15th, all night long, every few minutes, there was the distinct sound of someone trying the door and finding it locked. Now, Amanda says, my husband was already asleep before the noise started the first night. At first, I assumed it was a draft causing the door to move in the frame a bit, and I attempted to stop the movement by putting a heavy couch pillow up against the door, but it didn't stop the problem which went on all through the night. That would be unsettling. Yeah, I know. But she says the noise didn't happen at all during the daylight hours and said she forgot about it until the last night, and it was actually her husband who noticed it first around midnight, the same time it started the night before. He commented on it and then started looking for something to put up against the door to stop it, (laughs) assuming, like me, that it was a draft. She's like, I have no idea if it was a ghost occurrence or not, but I did grow up in Victoria, British Columbia, where I spent many years of my life living in or staying in century-old houses, so I'm very familiar with the sound a closed door will make when a draft hits it, the small movement inside the frame. Mm -hmm. She says, this was different. This was distinctly the sound of someone trying the handle of the door and finding it locked. I didn't really register the first night as I was already asleep when it started. So I did the pillow thing in a bit of a fog. But when I woke up the next morning, I looked at the pillow and wondered why it hadn't fixed the issue and then realized it was the sound of the door handle being tried. I wonder if they had unlocked the door, what would have happened? Oh, I know. Like, would it have fully opened or would that just still and it be some? But I would have, I would have unlocked the door and just stood there and watched to see what happened. I, I, I don't know that I would have unlocked the door. <laughs> just on the chance that it was somebody. You know? That's a good point. Like, That's a good point. Adam and I always say, we fear the living far more than we fear the dead. 100%. Yep. <laughs> if 100%. I know it's a ghost, I'm fine. If, if I think yep. it might be a real person, hang on. Oh, yeah. And that's the problem with going to some haunted locations that are like um, uh, derelict locations. You know, it could be some some homeless person that you got to watch out for, you know? Yeah. 
But um, Amanda goes on to say, she's like, if it was a ghost, then he or she was just being mischievous as the noise would occur and be loud enough to wake her up. But then she'd drift back off to sleep and then be woken by it again a short while later. All night. Ugh. Now, some some guests even share uh, strange photos on Taxi Mike's website. Like this one from David, who writes, uh, Hi, Mike. This is David from Calgary, Alberta. He said, Me and my family went for a day visit in Banff on in September of 2012 and decided to tour the Fairmont Hotel in Banff before we came back to Calgary. We went to all the places where all the stories about the bride, the bellman, we went to the ballroom and took pictures, but didn't find anything or feel anything out of the ordinary. As we left the hotel, we decided to take some last pictures outside by the statue. Now, at 11.46 p.m., we took shot number 416 of my parents and my daughter sitting and standing by the statue. And as I took the second shot, number 417, at 11.47 p.m., one second after me and my wife saw a blue image flying in the air, crossing the statue. So they saw this with their own eyes. Wow. He says he quickly took another snapshot of it, and it disappeared in picture 418. So he's got a series of photos, three photos. It's not in one. They see it with their eyes, snap it. It's in that picture, and then snap another one, and it's not there. So he says, to me, the figure looked like an old man with a beard and a bowler hat with a long coat and his hand fisted on the left side of the statue. So you can actually see the photo. You can see the blue light. Um, it's, It's very prominent. And, you know, it's not small. And it's not in the other photos. I don't necessarily see the image of the old man. And I may just be looking at it wrong. Um, yeah. but you know, you can definitely see the blue image, but interestingly enough, other visitors have posted photos of the strange blue light appearing in other places in the hotel, like near the elevator. And they too claim that the light appears to be an older man with a bushy mustache or beard. So, I mean, there's the, I read several stories had kind of the same lead up blue light, you know, took the picture. And it looks like, looks like the image of an older man. Now, Amy shared a story with Mike about her visit in 2011. And she says, my husband and I just vacationed in Banff. Our plan was to spend three nights at the Banff Springs Hotel, two nights at the Rimrock Hotel. We checked in at the Banff on July 30th to August 3rd, 2011. My efforts to capture an orb or anything unusual on camera was fruitless. We did, however, have a few strange things happen. We checked in around 1 a.m. and went straight to our room. I flicked the light switch in the entrance to the room, and then it turned off. I flicked it on again. It turned off. This happened two more times. We Mm. asked to change rooms. My husband went to the lobby to get our new room key. He said he pressed the L key for the lobby, but it took him to the fourth floor. He pressed the L key again, and it took him to the third floor. There was no one else on the elevator. So they were eventually moved to a new wing of the hotel. So she goes on to say, I thought this section would be exempt from any strange activity since it was built in 1995. I was wrong. 
(laughs) (laughs) She says, the next evening I was playing music on my iPad via the Pandora radio station. I turned, I tried to turn off the music, but it would keep playing. I switched the mute button on, but the music kept playing. I powered off the device, but the music kept playing even when it was turned off. Wow. She says, my husband is an engineer who is very scientific about things. He thought it was weird. Now, Amy says on her yeah. last night at the hotel, she had a dream that while she was sleeping, someone stood over me, put their hands on my shoulders as if to turn me over. I tried to scream, but had no voice. I was reaching for my husband, but in my dream, he did not wake up. Finally, I woke up from the nightmare and was relieved that it was just a nightmare. But what bothers me about all of this is that after I awoke, I felt as if the hands that were trying to roll me over were now resting on my back. Oh, wow. She's like, she says, I felt this deep, penetrating heat on my back where the hands were. And That's wild. Amy's story is not uncommon. In fact, many other guests have shared stories of sleep paralysis similar to Amy's, often including the feeling that someone or something was pressing them down into the bed. Wow. And, and these are just a few of the stories that were on uh, travelmike.com or taxi, I'm sorry, taximike.com. Um, and, you know, you can visit that site and he's got a ghost section right there and you can read other uh, personal experiences from, from guests who have stayed at the Bamp Springs Hotel. Um, but really fascinating. And, and, you know, that's one thing that Adam and I always hunt for is those, those personal experiences. Oh, yeah. Not the story that the hotel really promotes. I mean, we want those. Um, you know, that that's part of it. But, you know, we're not hunting for those. We're, we're not hunting for what the, you know, whatever ghost show that did an investigation there found. I mean, it's yeah. interesting and we'll share it with you. But what we really want is to find that nugget that I am Joe from some town. Mm-hmm. And I went here and this is what happened. I mean, these stories are always so fascinating. Yeah. And they're the best and they're they they put a whole new feeling on the the haunted place because you can say, Okay, yeah, the board of tourism tells this story about the the haunted uh the haunting from the the ghost bride or whatever. But then when you actually get somebody that's like, No, look, seriously. I was almost turned over in my sleep and I felt the hands on me. That's when you're like, okay, this place is cool. Yeah. You know, absolutely. I, I wouldn't want to experience that part of it, but it's cool. And like I said, I only shared a few. There were tons, tons that I read through. So out of all the places Adam and I have researched over the years, I have never found just the plethora of personal experiences that I found for this place. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it was amazing. Um, and these were some of the best ones, definitely some of the most compelling, but they, a lot of them had similar qualities. You know, the sleep paralysis thing was a very common deal. Sometimes they would be, uh, they would be paralyzed and they would see an image in their room. Um, some even report seeing what they thought may have been the bride looking in a mirror. Um, Mm. you know, uh, 
several stories with the you know noises in the hall or the jingling door. Um, you know th- this one this one about the iPad that wouldn't quit playing. You know that was pretty unique. Um, but I mean just just fantastic stories. You know, yeah. I mean, really, Those really great. But when you look at the history of the hotel, and as we talked about, the fact that the 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 springs are right there, you know, it, it's it's kind of stuck up in the mountains. It's the at least the core of the building is quite old. Um, and it was kind of like uh, uh, we talk about liminal spaces and in between spaces. Mm-hmm. It was on a railroad. So yeah. there was always movement, you know, people stopping and then people going. And, and so it, it kind of makes itself a liminal space in that sense. So it just adds one more layer to that paranormal layer cake yeah. that creates places like this. And, you know, I think the, these hotels are great for this kind of stuff because they they are old and, and you know, th- there is a lot of energy there, even if it's just from guests over the years coming and going but you you run a hotel and you get that many people there's gonna be weird things that happen mm-hmm. and some of that just it sticks around oh yeah um so yeah this is this was one of my favorite places we've done as far as you know these these haunted locations the the, the stories were just you know really compelling and and just the number of personal experiences we were able to find um, made it even better. So, you know, if, if any of our Canadian listeners, and I'm sure they have know about this place or have even visited, uh, we, we would love to hear your stories. If you, if you oh, yeah. found anything weird, if you had a, you know, an odd night, um, you know, something was shaking your door or, or trying to press you down into the bed. Um, if you've got some crazy photographs from there, Hey, uh, we want to see them. And, and one of the best places to share those with us is in our Facebook group. We call it the Graveyard. Over 5,000 members strong. It's one of the best groups in Facebook, I think, um, with, with some of the nicest people. Um, you know, it's a safe place. Nobody's going to make fun of you. You know, we're all just here to kind of have, have a good time, share some experiences, even offer up some help to people that may be struggling with some odd paranormal issues in their home. Right. But also, uh, besides Facebook, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Just go and search Graveyard Tales. And uh, like I say, Adam is the chief tweeter around here. Mm-hmm. And uh, while you're tooling around, you can check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show, learn a little bit more about Adam and myself. And you can become a patron. And thank you so much to everyone who has taken the time to donate to the show. Um, you know, we've got uh, extra episodes on there that are a little bit different from our normal show. Um, you can get video of us actually recording the show. You can, you know, see how we do. You can catch all of our flubs and mistakes. So if you've been thinking about it and haven't pulled the trigger, um, give it a shot. I think you'll really enjoy it, and and we appreciate the help to keep the show running and going. Absolutely. Um, And please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It is the easiest way to get us up the charts, which really just makes Graveyard Tales easier to find, and it brings more people to the show. Um, And, you know, it does make Adam and I feel a little bit better, too. (laughs) Certainly. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. It's a good ego boost, but, you know. 
there's more to it than just that. Exactly. So, uh, so thanks everybody for listening tonight. And until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. Yeah.